Welcome to Squaring the Circle, the podcast where I chat to creative business owners to see how they balance the art and the business. Photographer, author, filmmaker, and now public speaker, Sean Tucker. Welcome to Squaring the Circle. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Ben. How are you? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Yeah, the sun's out. We're recording this on uh, in at the beginning of April. The sun's out. I've just been sitting on the bench outside. So, yeah, it's I'm feeling very good. Lucky you, it's raining here. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'd like to uh, start off with um, a... Well, a sort of anecdote from your book, uh, Meaning in the Making, which is out now. Um, and there's a story about your first ever YouTube video um, that very nearly, uh, well, it sort of got made, but very nearly didn't get released. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that in mind, um, in your opinion, is done better than perfect? Yeah. <laughs> okay, on to the next one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's that's uh, it's Sheryl Sandberg's quote, isn't it? Done is better than perfect. I, I, the, the video you're referencing, you know, I mean, like everybody, I, I, I went out to do a little project for myself. I mean, I was getting fed up with the photography from my day job, which was commercial product photography. So I decided to give myself the challenge to go and do some landscape photography because it's not my thing and I don't know how to do it. And I thought I'll make a little blog video with it that sort of just captures what I'm doing, the fact that I'm out of my depth, what I've what I'm trying to accomplish, but also being honest about where I'm failing and see what happens. And I think I, I gave myself permission while filming it that I don't have to release it. You know, I can just make it for me. And um yeah, I I I got back and just cut it together. I left it for a few days. I left the footage for a few days. Um, but then thought, let me just pull it together, see what it looks like. And I started, it, I, I've learned to pay attention. If an edit comes together really quickly, there's probably something in it. It just flows and sort of snaps together. And this one did. And then I showed it to a few friends and they said, oh, no, this is good. This is like, this is different. There's a lot more vulnerability and honesty about your journey and that you're out of your depth. You're doing this to recapture your love of photography. And so, yeah, I, I sort of chose to release it, even though I could see all the mistakes in it. And I was showing images in there, which were pants. They were terrible. I mean, I'm not a landscape photographer, um, but the story was good. And so I thought that had value. And that was a video I put out middle of 2016, where I went to Snowdonia and did some landscape photography. And yeah, that was kind of, I'd, I'd, I'd had three videos out on my YouTube channel before that, but they were kind of quite dry tutorials on how to shoot products which is what I was doing for the day job. But this felt like, ah, oh, this is a tone of voice. This is a point of view that I could carry through, which is sharing the the good and the bad, the easy and the difficult sides of the photo journey and, and where you make mistakes, especially, because I think that kind of vulnerability everyone can relate to. We all, we're all struggling. So yeah, in that case, it was, a, it was me getting over my own need to be a perfectionist and construct, control stuff down to the last detail and release something because the message was good, even if there were mistakes throughout. So that was, was back then. And and obviously you released the, the, the film um, and your YouTube channel is hugely successful now, but where you are now, do you still, still subscribe to that? As in, do you like the films that come out, you know, on a semi-regular basis, is is it still still imperfect work, but the message is there, or is has your bar you know got that much higher? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I have to convince myself to put a video out every time I film one, I mean, I, I, because I can always see the mistakes in it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, but that's the perfectionist curse, you know, I mean, it's not going to go away because, and I, I know myself well enough to know that no matter how good I got of whatever I do, that feeling will always be in the back of my mind. And I will always have to talk myself into releasing that work into the world. Because, and I mean, I talk about this in the book, the perfectionism thing is really just fear. It's, it's fear that I've made something that I think is good, but I can't guarantee everybody is also going to think it's good. And, and that's why I'm trying to make it perfect before I release it into the world so that I can guarantee everyone will like it. But that's not realistic. And it's not, it's not, I, I've never made anything that's perfect. You know, I mean, it's, that's not possible. So perfectionism is is almost like a fear and, and and it's an excuse to not give the work you've made to the world because you can't guarantee the results so it's it's a constant battle to talk myself into putting work out but that yeah obviously that's a very internal thing isn't it but that's that's fascinating the fact that you still have those doubts despite the evidence of people like huge hundreds of thousands of people engaging with the work um and it's fascinating to me that you still have that battle, like that internal battle, despite the evidence, I suppose. Well, I mean, I mean, that's, it's a perspective thing, isn't it? Because from, from your point of view, I can understand why it looks like that. But I'll give you, I'll give you the other side. And I think if you talk to anyone who does what I do, they'll tell you some version of the same. So you see over half a million subscribers, right? I, I see maybe 20 to 50,000 people watching videos anymore that I produce, which means that more than 90% of the people who subscribed and said they wanted to watch my videos don't bother anymore because they don't care. So there's there's context to everything. And you can still argue, well, yeah, but 20,000 people still watch every video that you produce. That's a lot of people. It is. But what does that actually mean? It means that they're very happy to take things from you that you give for free. And I'm very happy to give things for free. But that doesn't necessarily translate into a business. It doesn't translate into people buying things from you or supporting you as an artist. It's to, for me to sit back and go, I'm, I'm brilliant and amazing because lots of people watch what I do. You know, I can also see where I'm failing and, and things are, I mean, my channel has absolutely plateaued the last few years. Like it's not growing like it used to at all. And I'm fine with that, by the way, I'm not saying any of this to feel sorry for myself. I'm, I, I calculated that if I stuck to my guns and I, I lent into more of the philosophical side of the videos which I produced, which is what I always wanted to do. And I didn't do as many of the tutorials. I was going to lose followers because most people on a platform like YouTube are there because they want free tips on how to make their photography better or which camera should I buy next. That's the vast majority of people who watch photography channels, but it's not the videos I want to make. So I knew that if I went the route that I wanted to go, I wouldn't see the quote unquote success other channels do. But I also knew that I'd, I'd, I'd keep enjoying what I'm doing. I believe in the work that I'm doing, and that was more important. So the numbers that attach to the work that I do don't give me confidence. I mean, if, if anything, you could definitely look at them from a point of view that says I'm making big mistakes if you thought the numbers equaled success, which I, which I don't. So I, I kind of take all that stuff with a huge pinch of salt. Mm, yeah, that's an interesting, uh, interesting way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how, how closely do you, well, how, how close is your identity tied to what you do? Like, as in, I spoke to 
um, Ivan Weiss, which is another photographer, portrait photographer. And he was quite clear cut about it and said, I define myself by my work. And it's yeah. and we had and we had a, a you know good conversation after that. And I'm really annoyed at myself for not digging into that because my follow up question should have been, OK, well, what happens for whatever reason you can't do your creative work or your business struggles? You know, that's mm. going to have a huge impact on you. So um, so apologies. I'm going to now ask yeah. you the question. Yeah. So how, how do you define yourself well, by your work? You'll get the opposite answer from me, I'm afraid, because I, I don't define myself by my photography or filmmaking at all uh, I don't I, and again you could take it all away from me today and I'll find another way to keep doing the thing that that I do that makes me me and I, I think I was talking to a friend about this the other day I, I think the thing that makes me me is the thing that underlines all the things that I've done the thread that runs through everything right from the beginning so even you know studying psychology years ago or working for the church for a decade in youth ministry and poverty outreach to starting a YouTube channel that says it's about photography on the tin, but we all know it's not. It's about other stuff. It's about deeper stuff to the fact that now I've taken myself back to school to become a licensed therapist on the side of the day job that I'm doing. Like all of these things, the thing, the thing that makes me me and the thing I will always find a, a way to do is to help people get a handle on their lives. So photography is a job that I do that I love and it's a creative outlet. But but you could take photography away from me tomorrow. I would still find ways to keep helping people get a handle on their lives, and I'd be very happy doing it. I'd lose a creative outlet, but I find others. I've I've gone through many cycles like that. But for me, that's all the surface stuff. Like a deeper purpose for me is that how can how can I talk to people and help them think about the decisions that they make, the way they value things, so that they can. Put things in better perspective i suppose we, we live in a world where our mental health pandemics of or anxiety and depression and things like that that's what i want to make a dent in that's my life i mean the book that i've put out is not is not a photography book it's it it is a creativity book but so many people have said i'm not really that creative but that book i've i've felt like i've been able to think through my life better and sort of work out what i'm doing and what i'm pointing my life at and that's to me what makes me me not photography on the top level that makes sense yeah well that that says to me that you've and it's this cliche warning because it's said everywhere um i'm not going to say your authentic self or anything like that so don't panic but it's um you found seemingly you found the purpose that runs through anything like you your your values and your business or the commercial side seems to be aligned which is um i think what most people in the creative business want to that's where they want to get to that's like the holy grail essentially yeah, absolutely. And 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 it changes, you know, I mean, I, 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 that's why I think of purpose as different from job, because I've changed jobs so many times in my life. But no matter what job I've been put into, I've found ways to bring who I am to that, if that makes sense, rather than rather than trying to suggest that me gaining one set of very specific occupational skills defines me it doesn't you know i i i've had to adapt many times and restart careers many times and i probably will again i'm not naive and think i'm done like but i will bring me to whatever comes next as well if you put me as a barista in a coffee shop i'll find a way to help more than just make you coffee it's it, i'm fine i'll make you the best cup of coffee i can but i'm going to find ways to do more meaningful stuff than that even in that role it doesn't matter what it is is that 
has that always been a a motivation for you as in helping people yeah yeah it has and it's 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 become more defined for me i understand what i'm doing i think initially sort of when you go through your teens and your 20s you're just running on intuition and trying to work it out as you go you're you're driven by who you are but you don't really know yourself very well yet it's almost like your subconscious is pulling you forward but the more you sort of bring it into your conscious and go why do i make those decisions why do i gravitate towards that why do i always wind up in these particular situations there is a reason for it and it probably is who you are and how you're wired and the better I've got to know myself, I think, the more I realize what I'm doing. So that now I'm in my mid 40s going, oh, I get it. I, I, I you know, there's more to discover, but I, I know how I'm wired. And I know now to look for how to do that thing that I think I do best, no matter where I find myself now and to get there quicker. Um, and, and because, you know, life does change. Circumstances always change, but that thing can always be brought out. And And I think that's often the thing where people feel like, you know, my life, is meaningless or, or or my job i don't feel like I'm, I'm i'm getting anything out of it maybe you do need to change your job maybe it does cut against the grain of your personality but maybe there's ways to bring who you are to your job and mean you're more fulfilled if you think about it and get to know yourself better and think a little bit laterally um yeah hmm. you, would you say that we'll, we'll get on to some um more practical questions in a minute but i just think this is fascinating but um would, would you say your you have a level of contentment now in some ways yes and in some ways everything's still changing and in flux especially the last few years of my life so i i don't i don't really take anything for granted and i don't feel like i've arrived anywhere it, i just think i've accepted that change is inevitable and constant pretty much and that I need to stay as loose and adaptable as I can. But that doesn't ever make me feel settled or feeling like I've arrived at something. I suppose the security comes in in knowing that I know myself better now, in understanding what's in the box. You know, I, I we all have a box with us. There's a bunch of stuff in it. Most of us don't like to look at it too often. But I think I've rummaged through it quite a few times now that I I know what's in there. It's not all dealt with. I don't, I don't understand all of it, but I I know a lot of what's in there now. And that that brings a level of, I suppose, security and that even though change is inevitable, I'll be able to handle it and make the best of it now more than I ever would before. So, yeah, I, I don't feel settled or like I've arrived at all, but I'm more comfortable with the fact that things are always in flux. Mm, okay, okay. Um, so s switching it slightly now, I'd be fast. So the vast majority of people that listen to this will be creative business owners and um so it'd be remiss of me try well if i didn't sort of talk about how potentially you um structure your week because i think that's always fascinating how um i speak to some people who um thrive off structure and that actually gives them creativity because they can just park that this is what i'm doing and other people that potentially are quite chaotic but that's yeah. where their creativity come in comes from and obviously if you're running a creative business you have to uh, blend those two so on you know maybe it's a, a difficult question to answer but you know monday to friday monday to sunday what what is your how structured is your week i suppose i mean i'm pretty structured as a person i guess so i i you know i i basically run on a two-week cycle in my head i i do because i because until now for the last three or four years i've been putting out two videos a month so that means that 
loosely I structure things around those video releases. I know that come the first Monday, I will give myself a week to think about a concept and start scripting a video. That will be that week uh, on the video side. And then that second week will be filming, editing, posting. Um, and it it does take half the time to conceptualize script and then half the time to film, edit and post. But on the side of that, obviously, there's a lot of other stuff going on. So I'm trying to keep the photography that I'm doing going because I sell books and magazines of my own photography. So I need to keep that ticking over and fitting it in between the gaps. So that's why it doesn't take a week to script a video, obviously. But I, I need to be finding the days where the light's good to be able to go out and take photographs, which means I can't be at home scripting. And then all the other stuff that happens, you know, answering emails and uh planning talks and travel and speaking at other things or running retreats or workshops, those things kind of are seasonal and have to get slotted in all those gaps as well. So I suppose, I suppose there's different tiers to what I do, but the, but the, the spine of those video releases, because even though I don't release, I'm not a YouTuber as in like, I'm going to release multiple videos a week because honestly I would be stretching a bit of content a long way. It would get very thin, very fast. If I tried to say something meaningful multiple times a week, so I've I've only ever promised on my channel one video a month. And I've often under-promised, over-delivered on that, but that's all I've ever promised. Um, but that as long as I keep that, even though that's sparser than most channels, if I keep that consistent and regular on its own terms, everything else kind of gets built around that. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, Again, in a, a previous film, I was... Uh, I did a, a bit of prep for this and I was rewatching some films that I saw, you know, a few years ago. And there was one, uh, there was one sort of line in a film where you said um, that to run a creative business, you need to make creative compromises. Um, so the question is at, at your stage of, of life, are you, are you still making those creative compromises? I can't remember saying that or what context it was in. I'm, sh I'm sure you're right. Um, well, it was the it was the video where you were talking about um, the well the sort of life of being a professional photographer, right? And what and what people had to um, maybe think about, right? I mean, I think for any for, using photography as an example, for every photographer who who wants to make money with a camera in hand, I think it would be very naive to think that you can go out and make the images that you just like to make because you like the look of them. And then someone's going to come and knock on your door and go, we just love what you do. Let's throw a bunch of cash at you to keep doing what you love doing. I, I think that is an incredibly rare scenario where it happens to a fraction of a percent of us. The, the vast majority of us have to work out a way to take the thing that we love doing and serve other people with it. So I, I might have picked up a camera years ago and loved photography, but if I just walked into a company and go, Hey, I really like shooting like light and shadows and stuff. Can you pay me to do that? They're going to go, no, that's not useful to us. Why do we care that you do that? And fair enough. Like, why should they care? Instead, what I should be doing and what I did have to do for years is go, okay, let me do a bit of research on this company. Who are they? First company I worked for full time was a company called Yuppie Chef in South Africa which sold fancy kitchenware, kitchen tools, like uh, KitchenAid mixers and, you know, coffee machines, all that kind of stuff. So on their website, it was obvious they need product photography, clean product photography on a white background, and they need quality food photography, mostly natural light and style for their food magazine. 
So me walking in going, hey, look at my Instagram. This is what I do. This has nothing to do with what their business does. Why on earth would they hire me instead of going, okay, I need to go shoot. If I want to go work for them in particular, I need to shoot a portfolio that looks like the work that they have, but slightly better to prove that it's worth hiring me and then go and show them that I can serve them with my camera. And I think a lot of photographers have to decide, are you an artist or do you want to make a business out of what you do? And obviously it's not, it's not that simple because, you know, we're all trying to merge those two things together to be an artist and to make money with it. But the fact remains, you're going to have to start at least most, almost all of us are going to have to start by putting our art aside and serving other people with our cameras in the way that they need us to work, not the way we want to work. So for years, I was product photographer, you know, kitchenware. Then I moved on to another company that sold sofas and beds and dining sets. Like there's nothing creative about that work. It's it's a production line, that that sort of photography. So I had to go on my own time, just like anybody else, just like someone who works in a bank, I had to go in my spare time and evenings and on weekends to go and shoot photography that fulfilled me creatively. The, the, the serving companies with my camera was not scratching that creative itch for me. And I had to calculate that. That's the compromise you have to make. And then go up on your own time and make the work that scratches that creative itch. And one day, if you can turn that stuff you do on the side into the stuff that pays the bills, brilliant for you but i think you need to be realistic and know that that doesn't happen for a lot of people and you might need to keep separating or or just protect it for yourself get a normal day job and keep that art for yourself on the weekends because you absolutely love to do it but i think too many artists have this almost entitled expectation that because they love doing the thing that they do someone should come and give them bags of cash for it and i just think it's it's not realistic and it is quite entitled um, we have to be more realistic than that. Yeah, yeah. Just, well, do you know anyone who has completely nailed it in terms of they are shooting exactly what they want, that they would be doing anyway, that they're making a living from? Because I, I don't. I don't know a single photographer personally. No, I mean, I, I know, again, you're probably talking about the the greats who 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 like the great portrait photographers, the Annie Leibovitzes and the rest of them who love to shoot portraits. They got known for that. And now that's what they get paid for. But I bet you even Annie has days where they want her to shoot something for a magazine cover. She hates and some art department is telling her this is the way it has to be. And she just has to do it because she's serving a client. We it's, it's, it, it, it's true for even the guys at the very, very, very top. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the world. That's the reality of, that is a job, I think. This episode of Squaring the Circle is sponsored by The Creative Collective. Well, I'll say sponsored. We didn't actually pay any money. Ben let us have the slot for free. He's so generous and also runs The Creative Collective, which is the networking group for creative businesses. The networking group. The networking group. We meet every other Wednesday at 1pm on Zoom. And if you believe in collaboration, not competition, then you'll fit right in. Come on, you got nothing to lose. Your first three visits are free. To register, take a look at the show notes. The Creative Collective. Collaboration, not competition. Talking, sort of switching gears slightly to the, the creative side, um, 
it's it's a term that's banded around loads now um you know creative flow getting into that flow state um and i I was listening to a good um podcast the other day so it got me thinking about it and it was just around the same time that i was thinking about you know what to talk to you about so i'm gonna sort of ask the question of when can you pinpoint the last time that you were in a state of quote-unquote creative flow um and if it's something that potentially you can um you've got a method to get there because that's that's where we all want to be isn't it in that kind of uh, nirvana that nirvana state so yeah when, when was the last time you were in flow and, and how did you get there uh i reckon sunday last last sunday i went up to to newcastle the light was out uh it was good i and i that's the only reason i well that and i wanted to go see the chris killip exhibition um the only, the only reason i was there to, was to take photographs because i knew the light would be out and it was a city i hadn't explored and I mean, my process is I almost, I almost fool myself into it. So, you know, I park the car and I'll get out, I'll put headphones in and I'll, I'll listen to lots of street photographers who say, you don't do this, but works for me. I'll put podcasts in my headphones so that it's engaging a different part of my brain. You know, I'm listening to a conversation that is engaging that sort of linguistic part of my brain. And then everything else just becomes visuals. So and I'll walk fast and 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 I will just take images as I go quite intuitively. If something sort of leaps out to me, I'll 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 shoot it. There were there were only a couple of occasions where I thought, oh, that this would make a good shot and try to get the shot I pre-envisaged. The rest of it was quite intuitive as a way of making images. Um yeah, and I was probably out for about three, four hours, you know, including coffee and a burrito at some point. But like that's 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 for me, I think. Yeah, th- those are those days. Walk, walk fast, listening to listening to some kind of podcast that's or, or or audio book that's keeping that part of my brain busy, and letting the the visual side of my brain just go to work more intuitively and see what comes out. Yeah, I've never heard of that because the all the um, you know when you hear people talk about that, it's usually and I'm this I'm I'm the sort of opposite. I need sort of quite gentle music actually yes. just to sort of sort of take myself off but without concentrating on something because if i my brain's not that good you know if i'm concentrating on something i can't be um sort of thinking you know creatively so that's that's interesting just out of interest what podcasts you listen to i at the moment i am binge watching smartless i don't know if you've come across it it's um sean hayes will arnett and jason bateman started it in uh which is a killer combo they're all mates anyway We've just gone through and done a bunch of interviews with directors and actors and comedians over the, since the beginning of lockdown. So I've been binging that, which is quite entertaining. Yeah, and I, I know what you mean. I mean, I do have days where I go out and I'll, I'll, I've got like ambient soundtrack stuff, which I'll listen to every now and again. But I have a tendency to overthink things and not give myself permission to take photographs because it's not good enough. And I know that if I distract myself linguistically, I'll, I'll take more images for some reason. Um, because I don't have time to overthink it because I'm thinking about other things. And I find it's 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 a very it's a very subjective personal thing, isn't it? But that kind of works as a trick for me. Um, and I find that it doesn't stop me from concentrating. It makes me makes me work a little more subconsciously than consciously because I tend to be my own worst bully. So quietens that down. If you if you overthink the the actual taking of the images do you overthink the images that you share because you know you're very um consistent on, on social media um and but obviously with the amount of um eyeballs you have on your photos 
um, if if you if if you're struggling to please the audience of one, which is you, um, it must be even more difficult, um, you know, popping it on social media. I don't take it too seriously. I think that's what saves me. I, I don't take. I mean, Instagram for years until quite recently, until maybe a year ago, I posted an image every single day. And there's no way you can take a good photograph to post every single day. So I used Instagram like a scrapbook and just posted ideas for images or or something that had something interesting about it, but it wasn't the final image. So no, I've never approached Instagram in particular or taken it seriously like it's some kind of portfolio of my best images. Um, I post less now and I'm a little, I curate it a little more now, but again, like I don't, I don't care. I mean, that, that for me is a way to test ideas out rather than it's not my website, for example, then I will overthink what goes up. This represents me visually. I'll be quite careful there, but no social media. I I don't care as much. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's probably the, probably the best way around it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Yeah, because you can take it all too seriously, can't you? And you can take, you could take people's comments too seriously. Like, do enough? Did enough people like this? Did someone say something mean about it? I, I really, I really couldn't care what people think about individual images I post because you don't know what I'm doing. I mean, sometimes I'm posting images that are project ideas for something that's quite a way down the track. That when you see it in context, you'll be like, oh, that's that's quite a clever idea, but you can't. And that's not why I'm showing you. So I'm I'm sometimes doing market research. I'm sometimes, um, you know, just testing visual ideas to see what the response is like. I've been messing around with infrared recently for the moment, which is an incredibly polarizing thing for some reason. People some people really don't like it. They they treat it like it's a like it's a gimmick of some sort, you know, instead of the fact that it's it's actually the light that's around us that we can't see. We don't have the equipment to see with our human eyes, which I find fascinating. People get quite upset that it's not the way I see things when I walk around, so it's not real. Um, but again, like that's for a project. That's that's for something that's coming down the pipeline. And and getting all this feedback helps me know, how do, how do people take this sort of work in? What are the barriers you have to overcome with people's psychology because they hate or like or love or, you know, Whatever you, whatever you happen to be doing, it's not going to stop me doing it because I know why I'm doing it. I've got the purpose for it, but it's it's all good information to have. Mm. Maybe that's the best way to look at it. In, you know, information is is giving you that kind of feedback, positive and negative. Um, there was there was a um, I deliver some um, workshops with young people, and there was I always open it up to some uh, for some questions at the end, and there was uh, a really you know, very innocent question, but it kind of broke my heart in some ways. And this this young photographer, she's about 19, quite, you know, she was very good at what she did on her phone, mostly street photography. And her simple question is, how do I get more likes on social media? <laughs> and oh. uh and yeah, it was it was so it was so depressing in some ways. Because um she's absolutely in that age where likes equals good. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's and and I tried to say that you, you've got to try and step away from that. And as long as you're creating the images that you like, that's that you, you're on the right path, essentially. But it's difficult to get that over, I think. Yeah, I mean, in, in the book, I I say, if you want more likes or follows, get naked or get a puppy, like because <laughs> people love that stuff on Instagram. But you're not suddenly a great photographer. You're just feeding short attention span of people who are looking for bite sized entertainment on Instagram. So the sooner you get into your head that 
metrics like likes or follows or subscribers on social media mean quality or suggest you become a master of your art? I mean, I have a large following. I know so many photographers who are so much better than me, who have tiny followings compared to me. And I know awful photographers who have much bigger followings than me. It doesn't mean what you think it does. So stop chasing. The sooner you stop chasing that, the better. Make great work and build your audience on your terms. And don't worry about how big or small it is. Worry about what does that core audience look like? Because, I mean, if you've, if you've heard of a, there was an article that did the rounds years ago called uh, A Thousand True Fans by a guy named Kevin Kelly, who basically made the point that, you know, an artist can make a living off a thousand true fans and then, then defines a true fan as somebody who uh, will come out to your talk or buy a print or buy your zine or whatever it is. If you can get a thousand true fans, that's very different from a million followers because you could have a million followers and still not have a thousand true fans, but you could have a thousand followers and have a thousand true fans. It's the quality, not the quantity. Like most people who follow or subscribe to me have never bought anything from me and will never support me. They just want to take free information. They're not going to help me support myself as an artist. It's building that solid core. And that's not about the big number. Mm. Yeah, totally agree. That's what I should have said to that young person. <laughs> he should have been with me at that time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Just before we go on to the, the, the final three, a, qu a quick one that's just come into my head. Um, because when I was hearing you, this was a few months ago, it was on a, another podcast, and you, there was a comment that really stuck with me that you said, I'm, I'm not going to release a photo book because my images aren't good enough. Mm. Um, do you do you think you'll ever get there? Just because you've you've written a book on creativity, you've uh, you release uh, films of incredibly high standard on YouTube. Now, of course, it's different, you know, releasing on YouTube. But mm -hmm. and you mentioned earlier that you haven't arrived um, in a in a certain spot. Do you think you'll ever arrive at the the point where you you want to release your images in a book? Um, I don't know. Uh, I hope so. I and I don't think it's about. I certainly don't think about it like it's about the quality of my images. It's about how purposeful I'm being to create sets of images that tell a story or have a narrative or have a theme. And that's something I haven't really done. So I've been releasing books of photography every year for the last five years, but they are collections of 90 images from that year with no real theme or rhyme or reason to them. They just are what they are. Um, and the reason I say that I'm I'm not in the place to put out a proper hardcover monograph with my images in it is I don't have anything to say with those images that I've made yet. I need to give myself a task, like a direction, a story to go tell, and then plug away at that for a while. And then maybe I would have, but that's my own fault. There's no one else to blame for that. And it's not about skills at this point. I don't need better cameras. I don't need more techniques. I probably need less. It's just about picking that story to tell and then plugging away at it for a long time. So that's kind of well, it's what needs to happen. And it is what I'm looking at next and slowly moving towards. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. All right, Sean, thank you again. Thank you so much for um, joining me today. Um, we've still got the, the three um, questions to go. So I'm going to go into the, the, uh, the first of the three, um, which is uh, the questions I ask all my guests. So how do you define success? Um, and what does it look like for your business or craft? For me, 
it, it is about am I having the impact that I want to have with my work? It's not. I'm not financially ambitious. I, I'm. I, I don't. I don't want money. It's not important to me. I want to be able to pay my bills with what I do forever. That would be amazing. Um, and it's changing a lot at the moment. So there's no guarantee it will do that forever. But if I can have an impact in the way that I intend with what the work that I put out, and again, like I do different things, so it's difficult to sort of lump everything together. But for example, putting out the book and the YouTube channel, if if I can if I can keep getting those emails every now and again that say, wow, that rescued me from a really bad decision. One of those emails will keep me going for months at hearing how something has really impacted somebody. I mean, I, I had a story, this happened not long ago, um, probably last year, summer, I had, I had somebody get hold of me saying, he sent me an email saying that he was really battling uh, depression. He had an injury and he had got into his car to go to the Lake District and had a bottle of pills and a bottle of Jack Daniels and he was going to climb the hill. He'd had enough. And he stuck in headphones to listen to my uh, audiobook for the meaning in the making. And he listened to, you know, one chapter, two chapters, three, and he got to the top of the hill. He thought I'll listen to a few more four, five, six chapters in. And he thought I'll just keep going for a while. And he wound up back at his car at the end of the book. And then he drove home. And the email he sent me was, you know, the subject line was you saved my life, which obviously I didn't, but like, I know, I, and, and I don't think of myself as any kind of hero. I didn't do anything special other than make work that I wanted to help people. I wanted it to, to help them rethink their lives or have a, find a bit of hope for themselves or get a better handle on their existential, you know, pain they're going through. It did that for that guy. And not because I'm a genius, but because it, it hit him at the right point where he needed to hear that stuff. That one email will keep me going for a year. That's success to me. If if I can collect stories like that on an individual level where those things have really connected with people like that, I can't ask for better than that. And if I can keep paying my bills whilst doing that, I have absolutely everything I need. I don't need anything else. Wow. That's yeah, incredibly powerful. Mm. Yeah, sounds sounds pretty successful to me. <laughs> just that, yeah, I mean, just that one email. Yeah, well, that's and that's it. I think I think that's what going back to the numbers thing. Like, I think a lot of us think like big numbers equal success, and a lot of people have that as their goal or their target. I promise you, whatever number you achieve, take it from somebody who's got a number you might want. You'll get here and realize it doesn't mean a thing. It really doesn't. Um, that those individual interactions and stories and ways you make a difference—that's everything. Mm, absolutely. Um, just picking up on something you said there where you, you may not be able to do this forever because of things that are changing. Mm. Um, what, what did you mean by that? Well, I mean, we're all seeing it. Everyone who does what I do. I mean, we, I think a lot of us in on the YouTube side, a lot of us had this assumption that going into, you know, pandemics in 2020 and lockdowns that YouTube would really pick up because people would be sitting at home watching YouTube, but the opposite happened. And it's, it's not just me. It's, it's, it's all of my contemporaries. I know other people who do this, obviously. Um, we've all seen a massive slowdown, which you know is, is definitely algorithmically driven. People who subscribe to your channel, they don't see your videos anymore. People who hit the notification bell don't even see your videos anymore, even though that's the promise that YouTube makes, which means that people don't watch, you don't get the ad revenue, which means the sponsors aren't around as much. That there's nothing we can control. You know, I mean, my videos, I think, are better than they have been 
um, and they're getting better all the time, but but the metrics are going the other way, which means I can't change anything. It just is what it is. I don't own YouTube. I just own my tiny channel. And if I want my videos on there, I'll play by their rules and, and I will be, I'll have to go with whatever tide comes in or out, depending on what goes on there. So that's changing a lot. Um, and, you know, I, I've been hit by stuff like Brexit, for example, and my, my sales of photography books have been decimated since Brexit because we can't ship to Europe anymore because everyone's stung by import duties so heavily they can't buy from us anymore. So all these things mean that we've taken, like people who are in my position have taken a massive financial hit from what we used to have. And, you know, if that keeps changing, we have to make a plan. We have to do something else. Um, so, yeah, I'm staying loose with it, open-minded, which is why I'm going back to studying to be a therapist now because I'm like, well, if I need another day job, let's get an early jump on that and see what that might be. Um, and I can keep doing this on the side and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. So now I thought oh, you were going to say um, something to do with AI, which is, of course is um, I was having a, a conversation with another photographer um, who's a street photographer um, locally to, to where I am. Um, and he was saying that he's him and his uh, contemporaries um, they sort of run a, a collective um, and they were saying that uh, there's a quite a few photo journalists in there and they said they're not even being sent to people to, to places now because it's going to get to the point where um, newspapers and publications can just basically type in a, a, a prompt and there'll be an image that that sort of sums up the copy essentially so um, yeah it's uh, changing times yeah I mean I'm I'm not sure how true that is just because I mean, I mean, you, you, if a, if any kind of journalistic outlet was caught doing that, faking images through AI, I, I, I think they would lose all credibility because it'd be like a reporter making up the story from what they thought it would look like instead of going and interviewing people. You, you there still has to be some credibility there. Mm. I, I understand the panic that photographers are having, but I don't share it personally. I just know that it's going to change things, just like the advent of Photoshop changed things. But it, it doesn't. When Photoshop came around in the 90s, it didn't suddenly mean that we don't want photography where we can believe what we see. It didn't suddenly mean absolutely every image out there was Photoshopped and we couldn't trust our eyes anymore. We know the difference between a Photoshopped image and not. And when we find one where they suggest it wasn't Photoshopped and it actually is, we all call foul and we burn the place down. So why won't that be the same with AI? I think there will still be a clear separation between human-made photography and AI made photography. And we will we will all want to know. And I bet you there'll be legislation at some point where you'll have to put some kind of disclaimer that says where this was taken and how it was generated. Was this made in reality or was it created in a computer? There'll always be that separation. Just like if 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 suddenly newspapers started to go out there and, and put photoshopped images on their front covers for news stories, that that institution would be dead tomorrow. It's it's not it's not true that that will, that will happen. I think it will change some of the industry. Like I mean, I I had when I used to do product photography, 2016. I remember was the first year we were all passing around the IKEA catalog because it was the first year where the entire catalog was 100% computer generated, which which definitely put the nail in the coffin for, for photographers like me who were working in product photography. Yes, it will absolutely change that industry, but it won't change portrait photography. People will still want real portraits of them. It won't change journalism at all because, because you, can't, you can't replace an AI-generated image with a real photograph and not tell people. Um, I, I still think that 
Um, there'll be adjustments to be made, but photography still will have its place. We'll just all need to shift. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I don't know how we, we went down that AI rabbit hole, but uh, well, I suppose <laughs> it took it took forty five minutes. So there we go. Um, <laughs> the, so, second uh, question for your chosen profession, um, whichever one that is, which <laughs> what is the book or resource that has had the biggest impact on you? Uh, I mean, probably YouTube. I mean, I know, I know it's, it's, it'll sound like a shallow answer, but it's the reason I'm on there. I think it's the fact I didn't go to, I didn't study photography. I, I taught myself on YouTube because other generous photographers gave a lot of information for free. And I was able to completely design my own curriculum and build my skills from scratch by watching other people teach me how to do it. Um, which is what I try and do as well. So as a, as a platform or resource that's made the biggest technical impact, I would say, I would say YouTube by a country mile, really. I mean, there's obviously been a lot of books I've read that have really changed things as well, but that's more to do with the way that I think than building skills, I think. Mm. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. Okay, sure, we're on to the last question, but just before we go on to that, um, do you want to, um, yeah, give yourself a plug in terms of where can where can people find you online? Um, and you've mentioned the book a few times as well, where people can find that too. Yeah, uh, just search my name, Sean Tucker, on, on YouTube. You'll find me at Sean Tuck, uh, S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K, on Instagram or Vero or Twitter, wherever you happen to hang out. And uh, The Meaning in the Making is the book. You'll find it on Amazon or wherever else you buy books. You'll be able to, to pick up a copy there. Brilliant. Yeah. And uh, highly recommended. Um, anybody in the creative industry could um, do a lot worse and read that. It's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So the last one, um, in one sentence, what one piece of advice would you give a person starting uh, in your industry tomorrow? Just patience. Honestly, that's the whole thing. I, th I think, I think, uh, yeah, at the risk of making it longer than a sentence. I think, I think, I think, <laughs> I think I, if you're like me, you're way too hard on yourself and you expect results a lot faster. And I think if I could go back and talk to myself making the transition to photography years ago, I would say, just be patient. You, you, you will make interesting work. It won't happen as fast as you think it will, but just one more step at a time and just keep moving. I think that's, that's something um, that over the last two years I've really tried to take on board. Like just as long as you're and as long as you're moving forward in, in however quickly or slowly that is, as long as you're taking you're putting one step in front of the other and you're going towards a goal that you that you may or may not get to, that's that's the most important thing because all the fun stuff happens on on the way anyway, doesn't it? Um, so yeah patience is completely key with it with absolutely everything so brilliant all right well um sean i think we've come to the end of the chat so um once again huge thanks for um taking the time out to speak to me um i've had a lovely chat and have a lovely rest of your afternoon great thanks man thanks for having me thanks so much for listening to this episode of squaring the circle if you want to support the show, you can do two things. Number one, you can subscribe. And number two, you can leave a review. Thanks very much, and I'll see you soon.